0: We all know that our time on earth is short. And the question is, what are we to do with the short amount of time that God has given us? Perhaps that question has been on your mind recently, particularly if you've been watching the news. As you hear disturbing things like what the Senate failed to do this past week, protecting newly born children. Perhaps you wonder, well, what should we do about that? Should we be protesting? Should we get involved in politics? What exactly should we be posting on social media? You probably all have friends posting a wide variety of opinions on these topics. Should we vote if there's no candidate we want to see in office? Should we always vote according to a party? Question is how are we to live as citizens of a nation? Many of you, you spent your whole life here in the United States, while at the same time it is still our temporary home. First Peter is written to temporary residents. The book opens describing them as those who reside as aliens. Like us, their time here is short. If you have your Bibles open up to First Peter, I want to remind us of a couple things of uh, a couple truths of how Peter encouraged them in this book. He opens up with them as they're residing as aliens. In 1 Peter 1, verse 4, he encourages these suffering saints who are being oppressed, not so much by the whole imperial government at this time, by the Roman government, but by local governments, perhaps, definitely being slandered and and maligned for their commitment to Christ by what they would no longer participate in. He encourages them in 1 Peter 1, verse 4, how they're going to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. He encouraged them to look ahead towards the inheritance which was coming to them. He encouraged them in verse 7 about the praise and honor and glory which would be theirs at the revelation of Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ returned for those who had their hope in him and had new life in him. In 1 Peter 1 verse 13, we've seen how they were to set their hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Their hope wasn't in who's going to be emperor next. Will the mayor of my city become a Christian? As they were living these oppressed lives as Christians, not suffering as much as the church would, but suffering still. First Peter 1 verse 15, they were called to live holy lives. 1 Peter 1, verse 17 talks about their stay on earth. It's, this, it's, it's a temporary stay, and I want to bring out these verses that emphasize that it was a temporary stay, that they were strangers, that they were aliens, that this was not their final homeland. Asia Minor was not where they really lived. I mean, they lived there, but their citizenship was in heaven. During this, their stay on earth in 1 Peter 1, 17, they were supposed to live in fear, knowing that their... God, God their Father, is an impartial judge. So, what were they to be doing? Well, Peter talks to all of these saints scattered across Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. They were to be loving the brethren, they would be longing for the pure spiritual milk of God's word. He paints this beautiful picture in 1 Peter 1 of, of what they were supposed to be doing it was to be being holy and to living in love and to recognize that they were temporarily here. So in a sense, Peter isn't answering the questions that we're asking. What should we post on social media? He's writing to saints in an empire and not a representative democracy. He's writing to saints without social media. But that doesn't mean that what Peter says to them as saints living in the Roman Empire doesn't apply to us as citizens in this country. In 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 17, Peter tells how God's people, how God's people, aliens and strangers, were to live as citizens under the authority of man-made governments. And that hasn't changed. The United States of America is a man-made government. We know that God is sovereign over that, as he is over every nation, but it is a man-made system. So 1 Peter 2, verse 13 to 17, we're going to start this week. We're going to see how we're to live as citizens. So before I read, remember what the immediate context here is. In verses 4 through 8 of chapter 2, he encourages them of the honor that they have because of their union with Christ, even as they were going through shame. In verses 9 and 10, he explores the riches of God's grace to them, how they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, with a purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of him. And that is how we just see ourselves as saints living in this country, as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood, proclaiming God's excellencies. That is what it means to be a God-pleasing citizen of the United States. We're not even to the verses we're going to focus on yet, though. In verse 11, again, he returns to this theme of living as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust. They are in conflict, but the greatest conflict was with their own flesh as they fought against the war, the war their, their fleshly desires that waged war against their soul. But I also talked about in verse 12 how they were, had external conflict, being slandered as evildoers. So, in verse 12, they were called to excellent behavior, including good deeds, so that when the Gentiles would glorify God in the day of visitation, that when Christ returns to judge and to reward, that the Gentiles who'd been seeing their excellent behavior would worship God as well. The idea there is that they would have been saved because of the lives that they saw. Of course, by by their submission to the gospel. So in 1 Peter 2.13, God's messenger, Peter, tells what this excellent behavior looks like. And he's going to start a long section. 2.12, he calls them to excellent behavior. In verse 13, he starts. He's going to tell them what excellent behavior looks like as citizens, as slaves, as spouses, particularly spouses who don't know the Lord, spouses of those who don't, don't know the Lord as those who are suffering under persecution. And that will carry us through the end of chapter two. But I'm gonna read now First Peter 2, 9 through 17 as we launch into verses 13 and 17. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one, as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Verse 16, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word. Father, I thank you for the preservation of this word. It is grand. It is thrilling to read uh, who we are in Christ because of our union with him, that we become part of this uh, spiritual priesthood to offer sacrifices to you, sacrifices of praise and of obedience, or that you've made us a holy nation. And we recognize and we confess today that who we are in Christ is, is infinitely greater than where we were born or where we hold citizenship to. And that we are ultimately your slaves, as slaves of God. So please, Father, we want to learn from your word as much as you reveal about how we ought to live in this country. Although we know it's different from the one that Peter was was writing to. We just pray for lots of wisdom. We pray, Father, for wisdom in how we use our public testimony in how we use our speech, and how we honor, and how we proclaim your excellencies. We pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to be as good of citizens as we can so that your gospel can go forward as much as possible. So please give us lots of wisdom as we seek to, to, to navigate this. Uh, help us to be very cautious where scripture doesn't speak with clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think that you can sense I have some trepidation talking about this topic. It is a loaded topic. I bet I could have conversations with each of you and come up with, with very different opinions about how a Christian is to live under this government. Probably different ideas about who to vote for. So I just want to have a lot of humility doing this. I've, I've asked many of you to be praying and I appreciate your prayers because I just want us to do what God calls us to and ultimately remembering our, our purpose, proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us so that the Gentiles, those who don't know the Lord, will glorify God in the day of visitation. So that's our big purpose. So from 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 17, we're gonna see four principles which will guide how believers relate to the government so that those without God will observe our behavior and become his his worshipers. We're going to see four principles that will guide how we should relate to the government as aliens and strangers so that those without God, Peter refers to them as the Gentiles, will observe our behavior and become his worshipers. You can see in your notes that I only have two principles down. That's because when, when, when we get back into First Peter two, two weeks from now, we'll try to cover the next two. And that will also give time for you. If you have questions about what I'm going to say, send an email or give me a phone call. If you have questions about things I haven't talked about, do that, and I will try to address what I can. We're going to stay within the confines of Scripture, but I'm still, I'm still working through this. And perhaps some of you have felt that. I've never really felt the need to protest. But as you hear what's going on in the media about abortion, you're like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some of you are asking those kinds of questions. So let's see what Scripture says. First principle, we are to submit to authorities. And this one couldn't be clear. We are to submit to authorities. We're going to begin in verse 13. In the beginning of the verse, we see the, the command in the New American Standard. It is, it is to submit yourselves. The ESV says to be subject, and that word there in the Greek means to order yourself under someone else, to get in line underneath someone, to have a superior over you. It's really talking about giving up your will to do that of another, giving up your will to do that of another. Submission is more about an attitude, although it does include an an attitude. It's more than deference and and respect. Now, we shouldn't lose lose sight of the fact that, that we are talking about an attitude. You're not being submissive if you're doing the right thing and shaking your fist. There is deference and respect there. Because you are doing the will of another, submitting yourself includes obedience. It includes obedience. Submission is is easy. We don't even think about submitting most of the time until our will is involved, until we are called upon to do something that we don't want to do. And then suddenly, maybe submitting to the elders is hard, submitting to our to our our husband if our wife is hard. Submitting to the government is hard. Children submitting to the parents. Lots of times it's fine until the kids have to do what they don't want to do. So it's when our will gets involved that submission then becomes challenging for us. So it is about obedience. It's both action and attitude, respect and obedience. Paul affirms this same command in Titus 3.1, and I just quote it because the language is very similar here. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. And we'll see that we're going to have that same emphasis on doing good deeds. The motivation, so the command is to, is to submit ourselves. The motivation comes next in verse 13. And the motivation... That Peter gives, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. And it's likely here to refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter spent three years on earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw from Jesus what submission to authorities looked like. Submission is for the Lord's sake, and we're gonna see a couple of reasons why. Because submission is obedience. And because it is obedience, it's not just obedience to who you're submitting to, it's obedience to the Lord. This is a command here. And because submission is about obedience, it is pleasing to him. We please the Lord. This is for the Lord's sake. It is because of our love for him. Because we want to bring him pleasure. Now, this is not talking about us earning a right standing with the Lord. But it's because of his grace in our lives. Because of the good news of the gospel. We want to please him. We don't please him perfectly, but we can please him truly. And one way we do that is by submitting ourselves, and we'll see to whom here, to every, human inst- to every human institution. Driving the speed limit is pleasing the Lord. It's for the Lord's sake. Paying our taxes, I know for some of us that's getting closer and closer, if you haven't already done that, is pleasing to him. It is for his sake when it is through his indwelling spirit. This is not to earn his favor, but because we are the objects of his favor. We can please him. Submission is for the Lord's sake because it is our being like him. It is pleasing to him, it's obedience, but it's also our being like him. Jesus was submitted to the Jewish and Roman governments. He commanded us to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We are his representatives on earth. And being submitted for the Lord's sake means embracing that, that we are going to be like Jesus Christ in our relationship to the government. The Jewish leaders wanted to, to, to turn the Roman government against Jesus. They wanted to portray him as a rebel and a, and a malcontent, some kind of zealot. And it, I, you know, I, was, I was thinking about this this, this morning. Among Jesus's disciples there was a zealot. So that was really someone as a group was okay with terrorism to bring down the the Roman government and get them out of Israel. Inside that same group of 12 men is a a tax collector, one of the most hated who worked for the Roman government In the same 12 disciples. And they're hearing Jesus say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus did expose sin of the Jewish authorities. He did call sin, sin, but he he didn't go off on corrupt governments, which the Roman government was. Perhaps it is unfair to speculate. I know we get into scary kind of ground when we think about our what would Jesus do bracelets, right? Right? Well, we can't answer that. We can't really answer what would Jesus put on Facebook. All we have is what he did speak about preserved in Scripture. So he wouldn't be Instagramming his meal. We'd probably guess that. Here, look, I got five loaves and two fish. Uh, But what would he use his Instagram or Facebook for? Would it be to take on the government? We would have no grounds to think from everything that Jesus said that he would do that. We know what his public ministry was like. Jesus' accusers had nothing that they could truly say wrong about Jesus as a citizen. They had to make a lies. But that doesn't mean that Jesus came out as a fan of the Roman government either. You know, I don't imagine him wearing a Make Israel Great Again hat. Really, he just wasn't involved in those things. What was his message? What would he put on Instagram? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, of course, we're just imagining there, and there's so much more we could say about that. But as we submit to the authorities for the Lord's sake, this is what Jesus did. So, what do we want people to know of Jesus Christ as you represent him every day? And, 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 and we're going to get to talk about this more in a couple weeks. We are, we are free. Our slavery is to God. We have to obey him. So as you represent Jesus Christ on Instagram and Facebook, what do you want your friends, your friends in the workplace to know about Jesus Christ? One of them is, as, he, as Peter commands here, is that you're submissive to the authorities. That was who Jesus was. Submission is for the Lord's sake also, because authority is instituted by God. In Romans 13, it says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And again, subjection does not have the idea of shaking your fist while driving the speed limit. That's dangerous. Every person is to be in in, in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And that is true of America. That's true of every congressman, every senator, vice president, president. That's true in every country across the, the, the world. It's true in, in, in Venezuela right now, it's true in China. They are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. When we submit to the authorities, we are submitting to the Lord. Now, this can sound very strange as we see governments around the world doing very corrupt things. I think as we, and it's why I wanted to spend time this morning reviewing 1 Peter 1 and 2. The book emphasizes this this is a temporary stay here. We are strangers. We are sojourners. This is not our home. We are here to abide by the rules while we are here. We have a bigger task. We are proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. We want to see our Gentile brothers and sisters glorify God on the day of visitation to be our true brothers and sisters. So we've seen that we are commanded to submit ourselves. We've seen our motivation for the Lord's sake. And next we see the extent of our, of our submission in verse 13. It says, to every human institution. In the middle of verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Inst- uh, uh, institution is a word that is often translated as creation. So every human creation or creature, and this is a challenging verse in the Greek, but I think our, our Bibles has this right, to every human institution. And The idea here is that institutions are created by people to govern people. doesn't mean that God's not sovereign over them. But, but that these are what people join together and decide on. Government structures are human creations. And perhaps Peter here is emphasizing that there is a certain su- uh, uh, subjectivity to government. They are human creations. It puts them in place. These are divinely estab- established you know what's awesome? I just saw someone look at the clock. This is going to be the longest sermon of your life. It is never going to stop. No, I've got a timer going here. It's going to be okay. Okay, uh, okay. so anyways. Um, authority structures have changed over time. We probably look and say America's is going to change over time. We know that there's no authority except from God, that God is the one who is behind, ultimately, human creations. Wayne Grudem writes that the inclusiveness of the word every here, as it says, every human institution, makes it appropriate to apply the statement, therefore, to other legitimate human authorities. And I was thinking about this. Why does he say every? He's only talking about the government here. And I would say that that is the primary application. But it's also true of businesses we choose to be employed by, e- educational institutions we attend, or organizations we even volunteer in. Right? These are human creations too. So perhaps you had this experience as, as a student or maybe parents have students now. Well, why do I have to listen to my teachers? Well, it's because Peter says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, some of these we willingly submit ourselves to. We sign up to go to a certain college. We sign up for a certain class. Others we don't have a choice of because we are born as American citizens. But students, are you submitting yourselves to your instructors? Are you submitting yourselves to your instructors? Or are you begrudging their requirements? Do you have an attitude of of submission? Employees, are you submitting yourselves to your bosses? Or are you slandering them around the water cooler? children are you submitting yourselves now this is not a, a human created structure it's it's god created but are you submitting yourselves to your parents will or are, are you always pushing kind of angling for your way just a little bit more just one more a little bit more time one more minute or are you submitting yourselves for the lord's sake to every human institution Not just saying, well, if really, really pushed, I will turn in that assignment. If really, really pushed, I will turn in that paperwork. Or do you have an attitude of deference and obedience? These are my bosses. These are my teachers. We are to submit out of love for the Lord, out of desire to please him. Peter continues what the extent of this submitting is. We see it at the end of verse 13 to to verse 14. Whether to a king as the one in the authority. So the king in in this context would be the emperor Nero. Nero's reign extended from where Peter was riding in Rome and really went far west all the way east to to modern-day Turkey to Asia Minor. Nero had come to power in AD 54 at the age of 17. Right now, it's around around 62 AD, so about halfway through Nero's 14-year-long reign. Nero ordered his mother killed. I think I've shared this before. He, He had the Navy attack her ship. and Then when that didn't work, he commanded the soldiers to kill her while she was swimming to shore. He killed his wife. Church history tells us that he would execute the writer of this letter, Peter, he would execute Paul, church history tells us. Upon the burning of Rome, I'm going to quote here, it says, Nero, this is from uh, historian Tacitus, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, this is the, the slandering of Gentiles, called Christians by the populace. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths, Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. This is the king that Peter's telling them to submit to. So regardless of whether we have a Republican or a Democratic president, remember that next time you are tempted to not submit to the authorities... And I don't mean not just toe the line and do the action. I'm talking about the attitude as well. Nero was a crazy man who would kill Peter. And Peter's saying, submit to him for the Lord's sake. We could go on in verse 14. Or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So sent by him, the, the him in context there is the emperor Nero, that the emperor is sending these governors. But it is interesting, and if you have a, a New American Standard Bible, it says by him, and you can see a little number by it, at least mine has that, it could be through him. It, it could be that these governors as sent through him for the government, uh, for, for the punishment of the evildoers. And the idea there could be that God is the one who's doing the sending, and he's doing this through Nero. So Pilate was the governor that God sent during the time of Christ, and Felix was the governor when, uh, during the time of Paul when he was able to testify under. That God is the one who's ultimately sending governors. Now, we know that Peter does not want submission to authority just to stop here at this highest level of emperor and governor. He's already said, at every human uh, 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 institution or creation. Again, just those names, Pilate. Peter's saying, submit yourself to men like Pilate who killed our Savior. Now, I think we are familiar with the idea in the middle of, of verse 14. that governors are sent by him for the, for the punishment of the evildoers, and we are thankful for that. It is why uh, law is maintained in our country. It's our safety because evildoers are punished. We know that that is not a perfect justice system, but we are thankful for it. But it also says, "In the praise of those who do right." Thomas Schreiner says that 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 modern people are not are not familiar with governments praising those who do what is right. The Romans, however, would erect statues, grant privileges, or commend in other ways those who helped the, the, the community. Excuse me. It was for the praise of those who do right. Now, we still see some of this in presidential medals of freedom, in statues erected in people's honor, maybe a mayor giving someone the honorary key to the city. So so we still see some aspects of this. You may go into a a restaurant and see a plaque that is given by the city because of the good work or because of of the donations that this restaurant has given. Now, as Peter says this, he is not foolish. He knows emperors and governors. He knows that local officials were wicked and that they misused their power. He had experienced this himself. He was thrown in prison after Herod killed James, the brother of John, one of the disciples. And because the people liked it so much, Herod threw Peter into jail too. So Peter is not, when he's calling us to submit to authorities, he doesn't have rose-colored glasses saying, these are great upstanding guys. But that doesn't change Peter's call for them to submit to the authorities. So the question we have to ask ourselves, are there ways in which you are not submitting to the authorities? And I think it's good either by attitude, because of your anger, I don't mean because of anger, because of wicked things being done, but just because of pride? I'm better than than them? Or in your actions? Whether at the national or the local level. So are you following EPA restrictions in, in your workplace? Are you following traffic laws? Are you, when you have to send something overseas... Are you filling out the custom form as you ought? Are you doing your best to comply with the ever-changing tax laws? See, submitting yourself requires you put your will before another's. You can't be submitting while shaking your fist. And this isn't so that we can pat ourselves on the back either. It's because we belong to the Lord Jesus. It is for his sake because we represent him it's because we've been liberated from our sin and been ransomed to him so when your bosses and your teachers and your coaches find out you're a christian are they surprised because you're always pushing via limits or does your submission to them reflect your submission to christ and it does lead us to a big question you see it there in your notes when is it right not to submit to the authorities? When is it right not to submit to the authorities? We have very few examples of God commending disobedience in Scripture. But there, are, but there are a few of them. And I think that's probably a question that we have. It is a fear that we have. He says, submit to authorities. What if the authorities tell me to do something I shouldn't do? Well, we see examples of this, and one is in Exodus 1, verses 15 to 17. Exodus 1, verses 15 to 17. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah, and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Here is clearly an example of where they are being commanded, commended for their disobedience because they were unwilling to kill these newborn boys. And another example during the same time phrase is commending Moses' parents. Hebrews eleven twenty three 23 describes, by faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edit. It didn't matter what the king said, probably helped, no I don't even want to joke, by him being a beautiful child it's kind of funny how it says that, uh, but not afraid of the king's edit. It didn't matter what the king said, I'm not going to do what is wrong. Some other examples of of people who are very much living as exiles, living as strangers, were the Jews in Babylon. You can think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're commanded to worship the giant gold idol that Nebuchadnezzar has placed up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Our mind's already made up. If it be so, if we're thrown into the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They were commanded to worship this golden image, and they said, no, we can't do that. We're not going to. Daniel had the uh, same choice to make in Daniel 6, verses 10 through 11. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, and this was that you could only pray through Darius, he entered his house. Now, now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward, toward, toward Jerusalem. So he goes back, and this, this is interesting. It's public. It's where he always prayed, and he goes back to the same spot. I kind of wonder a little bit, like, Daniel, couldn't you have prayed inside your room? But he goes back and keeps doing doing the same thing. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. He does it continuously in a public way. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. He's going to disobey. We see examples of this from the apostles in Acts 4, verses 18 to 20. When the synagogue has summoned them They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And if the government tells us we cannot evangelize, we can't stop. We have to. We have to obey God rather than men. And that's what Peter says at the end of Acts 5, verses 27 to 29. He says, Uh, The the council again says, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So this is when we do not submit to authorities. If you have to choose between obeying God and human authorities, you must obey God. That's the only time we should not submit to human authorities. It is disobeying God when we don't obey human authorities unless God has said you can't obey them. Now, we may face many different choices where we have to choose and say, can I do that or not? What does Scripture say? Most of the time, we're going to be able to obey, almost always, especially in America as it is right now. Maybe that will change. John John Bunyan, the famed author of Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress, spent 12 years in prison, because he refused to give up preaching. Now, I I would would make a a, a caveat here. We are commanded to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, to share the gospel. That doesn't mean we have to do it inside the mall. The mall is private property. If we are escorted outside of the mall, we can on the sidewalks. So we can still obey that command. We shouldn't disobey any command unless God says we must obey. And so there's still lots of freedom about where we can evangelize. Let's go on to the the second principle. Do good because you want Christ to be honored. Do good because you want Christ to be honored. And I know I kind of put this in a positive where the verse says, and, and, and you'll see it here in a minute, but I wanted to emphasize this, and it'll be clear. Do good because you want Christ to be honored. Verse 15 says, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And it's best to understand this as a parenthetical statement that Peter makes. It's in response to speaking of the governors as those who praise those who do right. So it's almost as if he's saying, and speaking of doing right, this is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. God has, has, has a desire that the ignorance of foolish men be silenced, be muzzled, is how the word could be used and is. So ignorance is speaking of what's not understood, and it's not a bad word in itself. That as those who uh, have a problem with us proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, who are opposed to that, who slander us as, a, as, as evildoers, those who are, are against our testimony to Christ, that is ignorance. But that's not the guilty word here. The guilty word is foolish. The ignorance of foolish men, that they're lacking in good ju- judgment. That, that they don't have ears ready to hear the truth of God's word. That they don't use the minds that God has given them. That they are suppressing the truth. That they're biased against the gospel. And so what do they do? They don't like the good news, and so they slander the saints. They find the message offensive. It's God's will that those who would slander us, his people, strangers and aliens as as evildoers, would be silenced, that they would have no grounds to speak against us. doesn't mean that they'll stop, but they have no grounds to speak against us because of our doing right. This is the means that God uses to silence those who would who would malign us and slander us. That doing right there is doing what's beneficial to another, the the loxicon says, to meet a high level of exemplary conduct. And I like that. It's really going above and beyond. It's it's exemplary conduct. It's not just not breaking any laws. Jesus used the same word for, 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 for doing good in contrast to doing harm. Mark 3, 4, he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? So he's contrasting there, is, is it lawful to do good or to do harm? The opposite is, is hurting. So it's, it's helping. It's more than law abating. It's more than staying away from, from bad. Jesus uses the same words in Luke 6, verses 33 to 36. He says, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do do the same. So He's talking about over-the-top good. It's not just doing good. Someone brought you a meal and then you bring them a meal back. He says, even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive the, back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And really, if I had more time, you could look. I've got all the time I want. Uh, you could look at Luke 6, 27 to, to 36, even more talking about loving your enemies in context. And it's going above and beyond in doing good. It's, it's really being extravagant in doing good. One commentator writes, it's probably best to, to, to construe this verb doing good to mean good works beyond that normally expected in a given situation. It's not just going via speed limit. It's not, it does not seem to be merely private acts of Christian piety. It's not just being good inside your home, but deeds that would also be generally acknowledged by by society as good. It's more than just doing our duty. And I'm reminded here by Jeremiah 29, verse 7. And in Jeremiah 29, uh, uh, God is instructing the prophet Jeremiah to instruct the Babylonian exiles how they were to live in Babylon. And the major point of this is that God's gonna be faithful to him. He's gonna keep his promises. They're gonna be there for 70 years, though. So your kids might as well get married. And he says in 29:7. He says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Now, this is a command given to the exiles living in Babylon. But I do wonder if it's in the background of Peter's mind as he's writing to strangers and exiles in the Roman government Do good, seek the welfare of the city. Be great citizens. Make that place better. Now, our motive here is, is that we, we want those who slander Christ to be silenced. And instead, we want them to recognize his, his worth. And Peter doesn't reemphasize that. But he's already talked about that. He wants them to glorify God in the day of visitation. He wants those who would be doing this, this slandering, those who need to be silenced, to become worshipers. So, we want those around us, our neighbors, our classmates, our co-workers, our fellow citizens, to be left speechless when it comes to our reputation, to have nothing bad to say about us, in fact, to only say good about us. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't feel frustrated when we confront them about their sin. It doesn't mean that they won't be angry about the proclamation that we have to warn them that if they don't turn to Jesus Christ, they will be punished. It doesn't mean that they won't have animosity towards the gospel that says you can only be saved through Christ. It doesn't mean that they won't be tempted to write us off as crazy because you really believe this, but they won't have anything bad to say about us. By doing right, by doing good, and, and, and I would encourage you to look at that Luke 6, 27 to 36, by loving even our enemies, by going above and beyond. In contrast to what the expectations for Christians are, in contrast for what the rhetoric against Christians is, that those who slander Christians would be shown to be irrational. Now, the purpose that we have And that point is so that we want Christ to be honored. This is not so that people would think well of us, but so that when we speak about Christ, they would have no reason to shame him. They could say nothing bad. We don't want Christ to be bad-mouthed. He, Peter, is motivating them because he expects Christians to care about the reputation of Christ. He's not promising that we won't suffer for doing good. In fact, in 1 Peter 3.17... He says, it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing, for doing what is right rather than for doing what's wrong. He knows it's possible. You, you guys could still suffer for doing what's right, but far better to be out doing what is right. Now, notice that Peter isn't pitting doing well here against proclaiming the gospel. He doesn't say, first, you've got to do lots of good works, and then you can share the gospel with someone. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, but that should be done at the same time of doing good works. And I have to say, this verse is pushing me outside of my comfort zone. It was easy to kind of just look at this verse and say, I think that doing good here is just not doing bad things. Just kind of following the, the laws. But when I, the more I looked at it, doing good is really doing the kinds of things that are like, wow. Now, I want to be cautious with this. Because we could spend all of our time doing good things, and some of us would maybe never share the gospel. I want to be careful with this because I know that some of us already feel a lot of guilt because of the good things we don't do, and we're exhausted already. But it is good to ask, are you doing good in your neighborhood? Do people know you as someone who's doing good? I have to ask that about my neighborhood. In your workplaces, do people know you as someone who is doing good? I know that we're limited in time and resources. You know, I think of some of the beautiful pictures of this. Foster care is a beautiful picture of this, right? After you share the gospel with someone... That you can only be right through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And if you aren't right with Christ, you're going to suffer forever, eternity, being punished by God. You care for a child that isn't yours. It's a beautiful picture of this doing good. Many of you are already doing good. You are bringing meals. And you're caring for elderly neighbors. And you're helping others by babysitting. Do good. So that no one can say there's something wrong with your Savior. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't. We're just taking away any excuses that we can. The point is not just to be so squeaky clean that when they slander us as lawbreakers, nothing sticks because we follow all the laws. And that's good, but it goes beyond that. We want to have contrary evidence. So that someone would accuse us and would slander us. We're really slandering our Lord. That the accusation looks foolish. We want to make people wonder at us. We know that we're strangers and aliens here. We serve a king. Like what? You're free people. You've got a president. We serve a king. He reigns in heaven. We are part of his holy nation. This is not our homeland. So as strangers, by our good deeds, we should be known as excellent citizens. Now this is just beginning. Um, And I imagine one more message, look in verses 16 to 17, but about how we are to act as citizens as as strangers and aliens, but ones that submit to our authorities and ones that don't do anything distracting that would stop the gospel going out further. So be thinking about, and I've been thinking, what do you see on social media? What are you doing on social media? What kind of conversations do do you have with your democratic friends, with your republican friends? How are you living as a citizen? And are you known for doing good? By God's grace, you are. I know, I have to think more about that. Does anyone see good deeds from me outside of you all? Yeah. Let's pray. Now, Father, I, I do thank you for your word. And uh, as tr- there, there's ways, I guess I'd like to say that this seems trickier uh, because we live in this representative democracy and we have this freedom to vote. But Lord, you know that. Uh, these, these, these human creations, these governments, are instituted by you. And you don't speak to some of these things. You give us guidelines, but don't tell us whether we should post political opinions on social media. What kind of hats we should wear. Bumper stickers to put on our cars. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't tell us all of these things. And so, Lord, we want to learn from your word what is required of us. We thank you for the clear goal here, Lord. It is that Gentiles would glorify you on the day of visitation. Lord, it's not just to have things right. It's not just to have moral laws followed, although that's great. It's, It's we want your worshipers, Lord. We want Christ to be exalted. Please use us, Father, in ways. And we know that does not happen without proclaiming his excellencies. Please, Father, in the upcoming week, Lord, as we get refreshed today, For another week, Lord, give us opportunity to proclaim your excellencies. Help us to take advantage of those opportunities. Help us to be used by you so that others would glorify you on the day of visitation. And we want to to learn, Lord, what it means to be doing good. We do want to be citizens that, that no one can say anything bad about. We we want to be those who even go further, as Jesus said, who love our enemies and and, and, and praise for those who persecute us, who gives to those who can't give in return, who understand the value of money to, to, to make friends who welcome us into heaven. So, Father, we just need a lot of wisdom. I'm humbled by this. I don't. There's there's probably brothers and sisters here who understand this better than I do. Uh, Help us to learn to submit to authorities with right heart and right action. Uh, Help us also to have that same attitude in every human institution. Uh, Lord, we are humbled just thinking about our brothers and sisters around the world uh, who um, sympathize with having Nero as their king. We pray, Lord, that you would give them strength to do the same thing, that they would take every opportunity to do good so that Christ would be honored by all. Lord, we pray that you'd be adding to our midst from those who see the good deeds that we do, and glorify you in the day of visitation. Give us lots of, of, of wisdom, Lord. We come before you really humble, really dependent, and we want to do our job well here as strangers and aliens in what's really becoming an increasingly divided, uh, politically charged country. In Jesus' name, amen.